See that smile up there on the screen? That's a mother's smile, isn't it? And for me, it stands for how a woman can fill a whole home and how empty it can feel without her. The best description of a mother, the best description that a mother makes I've ever heard came from a little six-year-old boy. He was talking to Grandma on the phone. And he said this, Mama's in the hospital, and Daddy and me and the twins are here all alone. (laughs) Doesn't that say it all? A woman can fill a house in a way that a man can't even begin to. Turning a house into a home, as we say. But it happens. It happens at a great cost that we don't talk much about. It comes from an emptying, really, under it all, of herself, as we'll see today, after the pattern of the cross. And once we're done describing it today, we'll see, really, the portrait of a hero. That's the picture that we'll be painting through Scripture. If you turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 16, at least that's where we'll be starting. We'll be taking a break from Psalm 103 today to honor our mothers. And to do this, I'm going to be doing something a little bit different. I'm going to end with the main verse that sums it all up rather than beginning with it. We'll be looking at a number of passages starting with John 16, scriptures that will be all summed up by, by, a, by a single verse in 1 Timothy, one that I hope you'll never forget, one that promises treasure for your labor as a mother. Whatever happens to your kids. It's a treasure that's beyond compare, and that's because it's a labor that's beyond compare. We could spend all day today and more talking about the joys of motherhood, about the treasures and the pleasures. There's no end to them. This is from Parents Magazine. They asked some mothers to share some of the best parts of being a mom. One woman wrote, What I love about being a mom is having the chance to see all shiny and new, see things all shiny and new through my daughter's eyes. She just turned two, so everything's all about new words, new sounds, and repeating the things that she hears again and again, which isn't always one of the greatest things. It's the best when you are in the I'm tired of being a mama mood and your toddler bursts out with something like totally awesome. Another mother said this, bedtime is the best part of of motherhood and anyone that says anything different is lying. (laughs) But also watching kids evolve into empathetic, kind human beings who can think for themselves. It's like putting money in the bank as a mother bit by bit. You don't realize progress until far down the road, but it is so worth it. Many mothers responded. The last one I'll focus on is is this. Nothing else can produce the joy or a broken heart that motherhood allows. I couldn't imagine going through life without feeling that spectrum of emotion. There are wonderful days when I feel my cup runneth over. There are days when I want to run away and question every decision I have ever made. Feeling it all, good or bad, gives my life purpose. Motherhood is walking around with all of your nerve endings raw and exposed. It is the most extreme measure of being alive. Interesting. They were supposed to share the joys of motherhood, but for each woman, clearly, motherhood was a little bit of a mixed blessing, right? Like the last one, nothing else can produce the joy or broken heart that motherhood allows. There are days when I run away. There's a spectrum of emotion. 
Or the mother before her who talked about the tired of being a mama mood. Ever experienced that one? Or the mother before her, bedtime is the best part of motherhood. It's like Ralph Waldo Emerson said, there was never a child so lovely, but his mother was glad to get him to sleep. I could spend all day talking about the joys of motherhood, but if that's all we did, we would, we would leave out the heroic side of it that makes motherhood, as the last mother said, the most extreme measure of being alive. If all we talked about the joys was the joys, we'd be furthering what someone called the myth of maternal bliss. Ever heard of that one? As though it's all, you know, supposed to be like leave it to beaver and you're supposed to be June Cleaver. Don't you hate that myth? That if you're really a good mother, you should feel like you died and went to heaven all the time if you're really grateful for the miracle of your children. Yes, motherhood will fill your heart like nothing else. It's a wonderful thing, but like little else, it can also and it will break your heart. Today, I'd like to begin by talking about the other side of this heroic epic of motherhood, which is Roman numeral one in your notes, the price. And then we'll look at Roman numeral two, the payback. But first, the price. I'm starting with the price because if you're like most most mothers, you need to know that there's nothing wrong with you that it's not all blissful. That it can be so hard, whether you're younger with kids still at home or older with the kids long gone. And just knowing this, just knowing that someone really understands for most women is a big part of the solution to whatever they're going through, just being heard. And the scripture is so clear that none other than God understands and God hears your deepest heart on this. We're going to see that motherhood can be like a sword. Talk about a heroic tale that pierces to your very soul and that you're in good company with uh, women like Mary for whom uh, Simeon predicted the same thing. But we'll see that through it all, there is a hero's reward. There's incomparable treasure for your labor. In fact, it is by far the greatest treasure that God has to offer. This week being Mother's Day, I found myself grieving because my mother passed away nine years ago and she was foundational to my life, especially when my first father died. And I found myself thinking about one of the last times I saw my mom. She was in an assisted care facility in Colorado Springs and as I was saying goodbye, I was feeling kind of bad as I often did because it was hard to keep the conversation going. She had Parkinson's with dementia and she wasn't all that conversant and so I, was, I felt like I wasn't ministering to her like I wanted to, that I wasn't filling her cup and so I, just as I was leaving, she was standing at the door as she often does before I opened the door that automatically locks so no one can get out and she was just standing there gazing at me like she always always did and she had such gratitude in her eyes it's like her cup was being filled and she said you're the best husband I've ever had (laughs) and then she laughed and said she said no you're not my husband what are you (laughs) and I said I'm your son mom and you're the best mom I've ever had And I looked in her eyes and I couldn't understand the depth of appreciation that she always obviously felt for her son given all that I had done. 
Even though she couldn't remember who I was, she knew who I was deep in her heart, and the sight of me filled her cup. But I was about to leave, and and she'd be alone again, and I could see the tears welling up, as they always did, and the fear lurking uh, in her eyes, the fear of being left alone again. And I thought, a mother's cup can be so full at one moment and so empty at another. And it wasn't just then. I remember saying that even, her saying that even harder than being a widow with two young children at the age of 32 was, was when 20 years later I fell away from the faith. I remember seeing her tears across the auditorium after I delivered a speech on behalf of the senior class at my high school graduation in 1972 where I devoted the entire message to telling them how meaningless life was and how I didn't even know if God existed anymore. We know not what we do as kids. Can you imagine sitting through that as a mother? When she said she was the be- I was the best husband she'd ever had, I thought of all that I had put her through year after year. Some husband. But still, as I looked in her eyes, I saw it, a treasure there a treasure that I'd like to talk about today, one that was, that was birthed through her heroic labors. So I'd like to share some today about God's promise to mothers, treasure for your labor. And to get there, we need to answer the question, as you'll see on your screens, motherhood, is it worth it? Probably most mothers at one time or another feel like my mother probably did, like the bumper sticker I saw recently. It had this Valentine's heart on it, and it said, I love my rotten, ungrateful children. (laughs) (laughs) Only a mother could love something unrotten and ungrateful. (laughs) And you're ripped apart when that happens. You can feel like almost a stillbirth when they're that way. I find it interesting what the scripture says about that labor that you go through at times like that and many of your other labors. What the scripture compares it to. It shows that while maybe your children don't understand or maybe even not even anyone else does, God does. We know that from passages like John chapter 16, starting in verse 20. Hear the words of Christ himself, your heavenly husband. He's talking to his disciples about how he'd have to leave them soon. And he said, truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to a child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Joy, anguish, joy, anguish. And it doesn't end with birth, with with labor and delivery. Therefore, you too have grief now, he said to his disciples. But I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy uh, away from you. 
Truly, truly, I say to you. Christ is talking to the disciples here, and he's talking to them about what they'd go through when, he was take, when he'd be taken from them and then crucified, when they'd be scattered like sheep, and Peter would weep bitterly, and Mary would be there before the cross, mourning and lamenting as only a mother can when the sword was piercing her side like Simeon predicted, along with the other women. And the only way that Christ could do, could do justice to the intensity of the pain that they were about to experience when he was crucified, the worst pain in the history of humanity almost, the only thing that would compare, that would do it any sort of justice was to compare it to the labor of a mother. And you see this reflected all through scripture. Paul made the same comparison. The Corinthians had become rotten, ungrateful children. And he went on to say something to them that's true for all mothers with their children. He started by telling them that he had been like a mother with them, nursing them tenderly. And in 2 Corinthians 7, 3, he told them what this meant. He said, you are on our hearts to die together and to live together, which about says it all. Someone said that to be a mother is to give your heart away, to let it run around in another body, to die with them and to live with them. That's why Paul said this to the Galatians who had uh, also become rotten, ungrateful children. I think we have a pattern going on here. And it's not just in the Bible. He planted that church. He gave birth to them. But they had fallen away just like I had. And so he went on to say, he went on to say, just as my mother felt, my children with whom I am in labor until Christ is formed in you again. Galatians 4.19. He was telling them about his agony as strongly as he knew how, and that is by comparing it to, again to a mother's labor. And in the same way, mothers too labor long after they give birth, just like Paul did after he gave them birth, especially with children who are wayward or who are sick or who are in any way lost. Mothers, the way they're wired, at those times especially, have a unique cross to bear. It's like Susanna Wesley said, the mother of John and Charles Wesley, when when asked which of her 19 children she loved the most. She put it as only a mother could, who bears their griefs and sorrows like no other. She said, I love the one who is sick until he is well. When they're sick, it's a cross I bear, and I'm focused on them. The one who mourns until he is comforted the one who is far away until he has returned home, the one who is lost until he is found, just like my mother loved me. Goes deeper than a child will ever know, unless that child becomes a mother, of course, than any father will ever know. Anne Lamott writes about it in a book on parenting. It's a book, interestingly, on parenting that she called Plan B, which is not a bad title for a book on parenting. She was talking about being a mother of a teen, and she said this, I learned certain things really help me when it's not going well, uh, going well with Sam, who just turned 13. Certain things really help me, like distance, <laughs> prayer, eating chocolate. Talking to the parents of kids on the other side of adolescence was helpful too. Why? Too often parents of kids the same age as yours won't admit how horrible they can be. 
She said a book, she said, uh, a book on adolescence that really helped her was one that you may have heard of. It's called, by Anthony Wolfe, it's titled, Get Out of My Life, subtitled, But First Could You Drive Me and Cheryl to the Mall. I drove Sam once to his friend Anthony's house where he was going to spend the night. I picked him up for church at 10.30 the next morning. He was furious about having to go to church and awful in the car. He was mute and victimized. It was one of those long 10-minute car rides. I thought about asking him to wash the breakfast dishes that morning, and you'd have thought I'd ordered him to give the kitty a flea dip. I thought about how he answers the phone, sounding like Henry Kissinger, blah, 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 blah and only pretending to take down messages. So when he got out of the car without saying goodbye, slammed the door and walked away after I drove him all the way to his friends to spend the night, after all that, I lost it. This is one thing they forget to mention in most child-rearing books, that at times you will just lose your mind, period. (laughs) It's not just you. Ever felt like that? It only goes to show, as Irma Bombeck titled one of her weekly columns, it only goes to show that mothers love kids till it hurts. You don't love me. How many times have you heard your kid lay that one on you? How many times have you resisted the urge to tell them how much you do? Someday when my children are old enough to understand the logic that motivates a mother, I'll tell them. I loved you enough to bug you about where you were going, with whom, and what time you'd get home. I loved you enough to insist you buy a bike with your own money that we could afford, but you couldn't. I loved you enough to be silent and let you discover your hand-picked friend was a creep. I loved you enough to make you return a Milky Way with a bite out of it to a drugstore and confess, I stole this. I loved you enough to stand over you for two hours while you cleaned your bedroom, a job that would have taken me 15 minutes. I loved you enough to say, yes, you can go to Disney World on Mother's Day. I loved you enough to admit I was wrong and ask your forgiveness. I loved you enough to say no when you hated me for it. I loved you enough to let you assume responsibility for your own actions at 6, 10, and 16. I loved you enough to shove you off my lap, let go of your hand, be mute to your pleas and insensitive to your demands so that you had to stand alone. And then I loved you enough to let you go. And that was the hardest part of all. You know, Eric Fromm, in his classic book, The Sane Society, wrote that the mother-child relationship is paradoxical and, in a sense, at once tragic and heroic. It involves the most intense love on the mother's side. Yet this very love enables the child to grow away from the mother and to become fully severed and separate. And only a mother knows the pain of that severing. You know, for a father, being severed and separate is like the whole point of parenting. (laughs) Right? It's like good riddance. Get a life now. (laughs) For a mother, it's, it's like losing a limb. It's like losing a life. Which, of course, if you think about it, is the heart of true Christianity. Losing your life that you may gain it. Which moves us from the price, Roman numeral one in your notes, to really the payback, Roman numeral two. 
Like the moms I quoted at, at, at the beginning said, there are so many reasons why it's so worth it. But biblically, the bottom line is this, is that your laboring under it all is producing something. In Romans 8.22, Paul sums up the whole Christian life, at least a good part of it, with the same image that we've been seeing again and again in Scripture. He starts out by saying that a mother's heroic uh, labor reflects something that is cosmic. It's the very picture of what the creation itself is going through right now with the hurricanes and the wildfires and the earthquakes and all the rest. For the whole creation, he says, groans and suffers the pains of what? Childbirth together until now. But her labor is also the very picture of something else because Paul goes on to say this. And not only this, Paul says, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Same image, groaning with the pains of childbirth. Waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You see... Your labor is the nearest image Paul could find to to characterize the epic challenges of the Christian life. In fact, the word that the scripture uses again and again for tribulation is flipsis in the Greek, which means pressure. And in particular, it means the unrelenting pressure of a woman's labor that climaxes in the transition when it gets really bad. And Christ went on to use that image for the Christian life. He said that in the world you will have flipsis, tribulation, John 16, just a little later in our chapter there. Paul said through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of heaven, Acts 14, 22. For the true believer, a good part of living is like laboring. It's a labor according to the scripture that is the source and the secret of all that's worth having, of all that's worth getting out of life. And you mothers have an an almost unfair advantage when it comes to winning the prize that we are all after. Because according to the Bible, your labor sets the gold standard for what it means to wring out of life what's by far the most important. It's the very picture of how we, how we gain the treasure. As Paul says, this momentary light affliction, again, flipsis, Momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. It's it's the whole point of being a Christian. For it was for this that he called you through our gospel. 2 Thess 2, 14. That you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ for all eternity. If we suffer with him. And Paul sums it up. In 1 Timothy 2.15, all that we've been talking about today, both the price and the payback, the verse that this whole message, as I said at the beginning, was leading up to. It's a standalone verse in this passage. It just appears out of nowhere. It's perplexed many people through the years. It's where Paul says, women are saved through childbearing. Women are saved through childbearing. What, What could this possibly mean? 
Well, Paul's using this word saved in the broad sense of the term. It's sozo in the Greek. The scripture uses this term for the three, uh, as many of you know, the three stages of our salvation. It teaches that we were saved from the penalty of sin when we, were, when we believed, when we were justified. But it also teaches that we are being saved from the power of sin as we're sanctified and that one day we'll, we will be saved from the very presence of sin when we're glorified. Same word, sozo, for all three. There's not time to unpack it all from the rest of Scripture, but when Paul says that a women are, sa- are saved, he's not talking about justification when they became Christians. He means their sanctification and their glorification. He means that through the very process of childbearing, they're being sanctified in a very dense way, in a very, very intense way, and that they will therefore one day be glorified with unimaginable resplendence. When he says that women are saved through childbearing, he's referring to the character that uh, comes through mothering that is the substance of our glory. If, reading on in verse 15, they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. The idea being that given what you go through, It's easy for a mom to fall out of faith and love and holiness and self-control. It's easy to become angry and embittered and unloving and out of control. But if you continue in these things without falling permanently away from them, even if it be three steps forward, two steps backward like it is for all of us, you'll be purified. You'll be beautified. You'll be glorified. You'll be saved. And Paul says that someday it will affect the whole creation when the whole creation, it says, he says, will be set free into the same maternal glory that you're now forging through the bride, the wife of the Lamb, out of New Jerusalem. And you contribute to her glory in a way only a woman can. As we'll see in September in the book of Revelation. Is for the sake of that glory in time and eternity that women are saved through childbearing. Paul has a broader view here than what happens at birth or what happens even on earth. He's using childbearing as a figure of speech that's called the metomony, which is uh, where one part of a thing is made to stand for the whole of the thing. And in this case, case, childbearing stands for child-rearing. It stands for bearing children all through life as you continue on, he says, as you press on in the faith and the love and the holiness and the self-control that are uniquely demanded of you as a mother. The qualities of true Christianity that are demanded of you in a way that they're demanded of few others starting with the physical pain of a labor that a man will never understand. And don't you dare try to tell your wife that you do. (laughs) But it goes on with much other pain. And that's why another translation says, and this nails it, women are saved through the pain of motherhood. All of which is to say, that your children may not understand this or anyone else does for that matter, but God knows your tears. It's all over the Bible and he hears your heart. 
The only one in the universe whose opinion matters says it again and again. We've just scratched the surface in his word that it is hard and there's nothing wrong with you, that it's a labor like none other, but comma, not a period, birthing a treasure beyond compare. And you don't have to wait till glory to uh, see that happen. I saw this as I looked at my mother's eyes that day as I left the, uh, left the assisted care facility because there, there was a glory there. There was character forged in the fire that that same son had brought into her life for years. Because she continued on as Paul wrote, though it was three steps forward, two steps backward, she was very honest with her struggles. She pressed on. Like the hymn says, take up your cross and follow on, nor think till death to lay it down. For only he who bears the cross may hope to wear the glorious crown. I saw in her eyes all the tears and the prayers that brought me back and that proved she cared. I would not be standing here today were it not for the cross she bore. Was it worth all I put her through back then? Well, maybe it depends on what you think of me right now. (laughs) I won't go there, but many of you, many of you are looking at your children in the same way that my mom looked at me that day. And you're saying what she was feeling. It is so worth it. And if you're not saying that with your grown children, what do you do? I don't care where they are or what they've done. The story is not over yet. And you're still an integral part of that story. The story is not over yet. Thanks in good part to the cross you bear like my mother did. Thanks to the tears. Thanks to the prayers. Thanks to your fears that drive your prayers and your tears as you live and die with them. God hears. And whatever happens to them, however their story ends, not a... Not a single contraction of your labor is in vain because you're going to take it all with you. You'll shine brighter forever. As C.S. Lewis said, you'll be dazzling, radiant, immortal, pulsing all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. Your deeds will follow with you, as it says in Revelation 14. They will. You can take something with you. All you do goes with you in the form of what it does to you. Your deeds will follow with you to adorn the bride as only a woman can, the wife of the Lamb in New Jerusalem for a cosmic resplendence that'll be far beyond all comparison. forever and ever. Amen.
Let me close with this. Julie and I were sharing from our devotions one morning a while back, and she was reading from a book called Growing in Discipleship. And one of the chapters focuses on how giving is central to our growth. In that chapter is a quotation that Julie read to me. We're talking about mothers, and she read it because this just about sums it up. If the nature of God is to give, then we who share in God's life through Christ are also called to give. And what we are invited to give is not our surplus, but our very selves in the service of God. Giving is self-giving, and this kind of giving is always costly. Nothing wrong with you. And it can hurt. For in ourselves, we embrace a small dying and a very real relinquishment. And in your case, it's a large dying oftentimes. This kind of giving spells grace for the other and transformation for ourselves. As such, we will gain what in other ways we would never have been able to gain. That's motherhood. Yes, that about sums it up, as you'll see at the bottom of your notes, and you can fill in the blanks. God's promise to mothers is treasure for your labor because you give of your very self like Christ our Savior. I said at the beginning that that's really, that it's really the portrait of a hero that we've been drawing today, which about sums it up too, which is the title of a song that Cindy Burney wrote and will now sing if you come. You're already there. Thank you, Cindy.